ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. It's been a big weekend of protests down at Horseshoe Beach. So what's the story behind the community group that blocked the port of Newcastle? Today on Newcastle Cast, we go behind the arrests to hear about the history of rising tide. Climate change is just such an all-encompassing, important issue that rising tide is really the place to be at the moment. We have to act now. We have time. We're doing something that we don't necessarily want to be doing, but we're forced to take this type of action because they're not listening to anything else. The history of Newcastle is undeniably linked to the history of coal mining in Australia. The first colonial settlement here was literally called Coal River. From those early beginnings, the port of Newcastle has become the world's largest coal export port. You've definitely seen the ships go in and out past Stockton and Nobby's Beach. It's something so local and mundane, yet it's a big deal economically and environmentally. For months, a local community group called Rising Tide had been organising an event called the People's Blockade of the World's Largest Coal Port. A group of people that included locals, as well as people from all across Australia, converged on Horseshoe Beach to protest coal exports by blocking the port over the weekend. Romy Stevens was covering the protests. When did you head down on Saturday? When was the first time you stepped foot at the blockade? It would have been Saturday morning. We got there around, it was around 10am and it was drizzling. There was a little bit of rain, but it wasn't too bad at that stage. And I walked through kind of the main entrance to Horseshoe Beach and there were quite a number of people there already. You could barely walk along Horseshoe Beach because it was just filled with kayaks and all these different types of floats. But people started to grab their kayaks and head out on the water. And at the start, there was quite a number of people. While people partied and chanted on the beach, kayaks and floating devices, even a giant inflatable unicorn, took to the water with an agreed plan to block the port from 10am on Saturday to 4pm on Sunday. 30 hours preventing coal exports and making a statement. Throughout the day, it just slowly changed. Uh, There was different periods of sometimes you'd only see maybe 10 people out there and then other times it looked like there were, say, 50. That first instance was... Not a chaotic rush, but it definitely was people excited. They were excited to be there and get out on the water and have a kayak and have some fun. What was the vibes on Sunday? How did that change? It was quite different. When I came in on Sunday morning, it was quite a lull in the morning. There were still people out on the water, but it was really quiet. Towards the end of the day, they then started to ramp everyone up again, like they had on the Saturday morning. There were speeches again, the music started, there were activities again, um, and then we headed towards the end of the official protest that was authorised, and it was all about getting people revved up again to get back out there. 4pm Sunday was the time that Rising Tide had agreed with the police to leave the water and end their protest. 
But the protesters had a different idea. They had a countdown to 4pm. So just before then, they had there was about 100 or so people that were going to be the last ones out on the water. They all went out before 4pm, so there was a huge group of them all out on the water. And then there was this massive countdown to 4pm. Just before that was happening, the police were also on the beach. Uh, there was a police presence at that point and they were announcing over a loudspeaker to the people on the water. They were giving them warnings and saying, you need to get off, uh, you'll be breaking the law if you, if you don't, that type of thing. They had those warnings, but then everyone around the crowd was counting down. They had music, they were banging their drums mm. and then they all got super excited at four o'clock. And everyone was, you know, having fun and cheering. And then it was about an hour of nothing. <laughs> right. It was so bizarre. The police were circling all the protesters out in the on the water. On the water. Yeah. But they weren't really doing anything. And people were just still partying on the beach. Were you there for when the arrests started to happen? Like, how did that go? Over the loudspeaker, they announced that they were starting to make arrests and they were getting taken down to the mobile command centre. So me with camera in hand, <laughs> that's where I'm going to. So I rushed down there and I then saw in the Port Authority area, it's all fenced off, but as soon as I got there, there was a row of people that were walking up the ramp and they'd just been brought in on one of the black police boats. And so uh, I was kind of there before the crowd got there, but then the crowd came to that area. <laughs> and again, it was wild. <laughs> 109 people ended up being arrested in what organisers are calling one of the largest examples of non-violent direct action. People from teenagers to a 97-year-old reverend engaged in civil disobedience. I just think of the young people growing up that I knew. What sort of world are they going to be in? This event was months in the making. But for the group Rising Tide, this event was the culmination of a history that begins nearly 20 years ago in the mid-2000s. It was just um, some of my friends... Um, looking at the coal ships going out. Naomi Hodgson was one of the first members of Rising Tide. I caught up with Naomi on the Friday before the protests down at the camp behind Horseshoe Beach as people were arriving and setting up. We're planning to hold that space on the port, harbour, um, for a full 30 hours from 10am until 4pm the next day, including overnight. So we'll be preventing um, about um, eight coal ships over that time, 500,000 tonnes of coal um, total would be the average that would usually leave the port in that period. When rising tides started, it was a different time. Climate change wasn't as publicly discussed or considered. We were all forest activists, so we were involved in biodiversity conservation in the forest in this area, and we realised that the efforts to protect biodiversity there were, um, while essential and, and critical, were really going to be undermined by the, um, the impacts of the looming climate crisis and that we lived in the world's largest coal port and it was Australia's um, single greatest um, source of uh, carbon emissions and living here situated in this place that we really should be doing something about that. So we switched our focus to um, coal exports and, and started Rising Tide. 
It was a small, committed group of activists thinking locally, opposing coal mining and fossil fuel power stations and trying to get people talking about climate change. Back then, um, people weren't talking about climate change very much at all. And we were one of the first um, grassroots groups in Australia that was active on climate change. So the group protested and organised and raised awareness. But at a certain point, it was time to move on. We actually stopped for a full 10 years and I think there was various personal factors that everybody went on to do different um, campaigning for different organisations and it just um, wasn't the time for it to continue. People got older, took professional jobs in climate policy or moved away from Newcastle. But the memory of what they'd done with so few people and such a committed mindset stuck with Naomi. I think we never expected it to exist again. It was just um, something wonderful that we did in the past and I'd certainly moved on, but then for the last couple of years, I just um, more and more was thinking about the gap in the social movement ecosystem that I could see for the type of actions that we were coordinating back in the day. It was only last year, coming out of COVID, that Naomi thought that maybe rising tides time had come again. We re-established in August last year um, with our first little meeting of about 10 people that were interested in, in what, what we might achieve by um, reinvigorating the old group. I just yep, took the plunge and thought, let's get it going again. What began with those 10 members back in August 2022 has grown. Rising Tide have been coordinating and campaigning both locally and across the country. They've built a community around what they see as a need for action. That's what's brought us to this big protest blocking the harbour. This was actually the 12th time environmentalists have blocked the port to protest coal exports. I think the first time we did it was in... 2005 or 2006 and this will be the 12th People's Blockade. Um, Rising Tide has organised a lot of them. Other organisations, um, Extinction Rebellion and 350.org have organised a few of them. But previous blockades were never at this scale. It will be the biggest one ever. It will be the longest one ever. Previously, on every other occasion, it's only been a day, so roughly six hours that the port has been blocked. This time we're blocking for 30 hours um, or longer. And I think the, a key difference as well is that this is not an isolated tactic this time. This time we are kicking off a civil resistance movement and we're, we're determined to put concerted ongoing effort into demanding a, a proper funding plan um, to support workers and communities through the transition process and the end of coal exports from the world's largest coal port by 2030. Rising Tide want to see all new fossil fuel projects cancelled, any fossil fuel exported heavily taxed to fund communities transitioning away from coal industries and to end all coal exports from Newcastle by 2030. Those goals and their tactics have earned condemnation from elected representatives who say they aren't being realistic, that coal is still very important for the local, state and federal economy, or that they don't need to break the law to make their point. Honestly, everyone has the right to protest, but I think it's a bit chaotic what they're doing down there. There's tens of thousands of jobs up in the Hunter that, that helps get all that coal down to the port 
and then out on the ships to places that really need it. I prefer people didn't protest at the coal port. It's a lawful trade. It's important for New South Wales. A Port of Newcastle spokesperson told us that following protest action within the shipping channel over the weekend, vessel movements have now resumed. The coal ships are still coming in and out. Even after being arrested, these protesters are undeterred. We are building a mass movement to take on the fossil fuel industry if our government won't. I don't want to live without fighting for my generation's right to life. Rightly or wrongly, these people are committed to their cause. Have you ever covered an event like this before, particularly like protests and stuff like that? Never. Never. And I've covered so many different types of things, whether that be things like protests or, you know, even events with big press conferences. I think what was so bizarre is it went from being this really happy, positive vibe and people were feeling really motivated um, and uplifted to the lulls of the event where it was really quiet and people were almost catching their breath and conserving their energy to build up towards the end when there was a lot more anger and... That wasn't just from the climate protesters. That was from people that were just walking past as well who were annoyed at what was happening. And it really quite, it changed for me towards the end. And I don't think I've ever covered or even experienced an event like that that had so many highs and lows. Before all of this kicked off, back when people were still unloading their kayaks and setting up their tents behind Horseshoe Beach, Naomi was getting ready. What do you think your younger self, who first got involved with Rising Tide back in the day, what would your younger self think about that now? I think my younger self would be really proud that I've stepped back into this space. It's challenging, but it's, it's highly rewarding and it needs to be done. I, I could see that no one else was doing um, this work that was so critical, that, that somebody would be coordinating. And I think that, yeah, I, I mean, I would... I think my younger self would be really happy to see me taking this role in the movement at this point. Right now I feel excited and heartwarmed by all the people coming together and I feel like a sense of calm before the storm as well, um, anticipation. I think that um, once it's all happening I will feel a sense of um, elation, like a real um, deep empowerment and and that's that's the type of feeling that comes from taking collective action for a thing that matters so deeply when when you're you're coming together with thousands of other like-minded people there's really um, no feeling like it and it makes all of the hard work worthwhile. Newcastle Cast is produced on a Wobbicool country by Toby Hemmings and me, Laurie Dixon. Our executive producers are Lucia Hill and Blythe Moore. That's our last episode for this season. We're taking a summer holiday, but if you're looking for more great stories from around Newcastle and the Hunter Valley, scroll down through our feed. We've got over 100 episodes just waiting for you. Or tune in to ABC Newcastle via the ABC Listen app. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to an ABC podcast.
Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.